the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Why he was so emotional and screaming out and crying out to God with such intensity. He was emotional because when he's on the cross, all of the sins of mankind will be put on him and he will receive the wrath of God against the sins of mankind, the wrath of God and the judgment of God against your sins and mine, and he will be cut off from the Father for our sins. And he's never been cut off from the Father. There will always be instances in our lives where we will face a trial or a difficult situation with no way out. When you are alone, you may want to cry and express your pain and sorrow, But did you know that Jesus experienced the same emotions? Pastor Dan explains in today's message how Jesus experienced a range of emotions before being arrested. Before the soldiers came to arrest him, Jesus was crying because he knew that the sin of the world would befall him and separate him from the Father. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Matthew chapter 26 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jesus said to Peter, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus says, Assuredly, your translation might say truly or verily. You know, and what the word means is like what I am telling you is absolutely true. I assure you, Peter, <laughs> I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter, you think you will never be made to stumble. Peter, you will not make it through the night. You will deny me before morning, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, before the sun comes up and we've got cakes on the griddle. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny me three times. Now, here's the thing for you Bible nerds. Chickens and roosters were not allowed in the city of Jerusalem at that time. You weren't allowed to keep chickens and roosters in the city. So there were no roosters in the city, or at least there shouldn't be any roosters in the city. But Jesus knows there's at least one rooster in the city. It's not supposed to be there, but there is one that is there. And so what did Peter think when Jesus said, before the rooster crows? Did Peter think, roosters? There's no roosters here, man. I've got this. There's no way I can fail. There's not even a rooster in this city. Did it boost his self-confidence? His self-assurance? Peter said in verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
And so said all the disciples. So it wasn't only Peter who made such a definitive declaration of their commitment to Christ. All of the disciples said this. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. Now the word Gethsemane means oil press, as in an olive oil press. They're on the Mount of Olives. It's called the Mount of Olives because there was a big grove of olive trees on that mountainside. And they had an olive press that was located near the base of the mountain at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. Hence the name Gethsemane or olive press, oil press. John's gospel tells us it was a garden. That's where we get the name Garden of Gethsemane. Interestingly, this takes place in a garden. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, Jesus is called the last Adam. The last Adam. The first man, the first Adam, was also in a garden. The Garden of Eden. And it was a garden, in a garden, that the first Adam disobeyed God and rebelled against God's will. And it is in a garden that the last Adam, Jesus Christ, obeyed God and submitted to God's will. It was in a garden that the first Adam hid from God. And it's in a garden that the last Adam sought God in prayer. In the first garden, the first Adam was driven out and kept out by an angel with a sword. In this garden, the last Adam will say, put away your sword. In the first garden, the first Adam failed and mankind was ruined by the disobedience of the first Adam. In this garden, the last Adam prevailed and mankind was restored to God by the obedience of the last Adam. So the Bible says that we are all born into the first Adam with his nature We're born again into the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And we're given a new nature when we're in Christ, the last Adam. And so it's interesting that this whole thing takes place in a garden. And the last Adam will prevail where the first Adam failed. And it's as if Jesus is is reversing everything that the first Adam lost. In the garden. So verse 36. He came to Gethsemane. He said to his disciples. Sit here. While I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter. And the two sons of Zebedee. That would be James and John. And he began to be. Look what it says. Sorrowful. And deeply distressed. He began to be sorrowful. And deeply distressed. And the idea here is. He was suddenly overcome with sorrow. Like sorrow just washed over him. You know what that's like. Where just an emotion washes over you. You suddenly are filled with sorrow. And he became deeply distressed. Mark's gospel adds another word that means to be struck with terror. To be struck with terror. So he's terrified all of a sudden. Peter, James, and John have never seen Jesus like this. Now, think about the last three and a half years that Peter, James, and John have spent with Jesus. They have watched Jesus face thousands of hungry people without food. And that didn't strike terror into him. 
They've seen him come face to face with demon-possessed people, too many to count. And that never shook him. That never shook him. He's faced lepers. He's calmed storms. And nothing phased Jesus. Nothing ever distressed him. The disciples were distraught and thought they were going to die in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. They even woke Jesus up. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Do something. Here they thought they were going to die in the storm while Jesus was napping in the boat. That's how cool he was. That's how in control Jesus was. Nothing rattled him. But now he's suddenly overcome with sorrow. Sorrow washes over him. He's deeply distressed. He's overcome with terror. He's terrified. They've never seen Jesus like this before. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. I feel like I'm going to die. Stay here and watch with me. They've never heard Jesus say, I am exceedingly sorrowful. They've never heard Jesus say anything like this. Now, you and I, we have days where uh, we feel bad. We have days where we're overwhelmed or where we're stressed out. And we may tell someone, hey, I'm having a really bad day. You know, I'm really going through it today. But Jesus has never said something like this before to the disciples. They've never heard Jesus talk like this. Psalm 45, verse 7, if you're taking notes, Psalm 45, verse 7, it says of Jesus that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than his companions. He was anointed with the oil of joy more than his companions. Jesus had joy more than anyone else. Jesus was the most joyous guy who ever lived. Jesus was always in a good mood. He was always rejoicing, always glad, always upbeat, always positive, always had a smile on his face more than anyone ever. He never had a down day. But now he's exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And note what Jesus does when he's sorrowful and distressed. First of all, he prays. He prays. And then he seeks out fellowship with the people that are closest to him. He asks Peter, James, and John to stay and watch with him or stay and pray together with him. And this is Jesus. And Jesus is humble enough to ask other people to just sit with him, pray with him. He doesn't say, I don't feel like being around people right now. I want to be alone. No, no. he says, Peter, James, John, will you stay with me here and pray with me? He didn't want to be alone at a time like this when he was going through this emotionally. He wanted other people around him coming alongside him in prayer and fellowship with them. And Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived the perfect life. That means this is the perfect response when you are struggling through something or feeling distressed or sad or overwhelmed or whatever it may be. That's when you should say, I really need to be around my brothers and sisters in Christ. I really need to reach out to someone and ask them to sit with me, pray with me. I need fellowship right now. I need people around me praying with me and praying for me. I shouldn't go through this alone. I shouldn't isolate myself right now. I need to be with the body of Christ as often as possible while I'm going through this. That's what Jesus did. He sought out fellowship with Peter, James, and John. 
And we can't say, well, that's Jesus. I'm just not like that. I like to just be by myself. I watch church online and stay home. And just He lived the perfect life. It's the perfect response. Look at verse 39. It says, he went a little farther and he fell on his face. He collapsed on the ground. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Now, usually when Jesus is portrayed in Gethsemane, praying, and he's portrayed like an artwork or in movies, what does the text say? The text says he was exceedingly sorrowful and he fell on his face. He collapsed on his face. Think about that. When have you ever seen a grown man fall on his face and collapse? I mean, if somebody did that here, please don't. But if somebody did, I mean, it would be an emergency, right? Everybody would jump up to help. People would call 911. People would get into prayer groups. You saw what happened with a football game where the guy collapsed. Jesus falls on his face. He collapses. Luke's account says he was in agony. That's the word Luke uses. He was in agony as he prayed. Hebrews 5, 7, if you're taking notes, you can jot that down. Hebrews 5, 7 says that Jesus prayed, listen, with loud cries and tears. Loud cries and tears. Jesus was on his face, screaming out to God and crying. He was screaming out and crying with such intensity and such force that Luke's account tells us he burst the capillaries on his face and his blood began to mix with his sweat and his sweat became like drops of blood. That's some pretty intense praying. Really, you know, bearing down and screaming out with such force that you're bursting the capillaries on your face. Now, why was Jesus so emotional? Well, he was emotional in part because of the physical suffering he will experience through the crucifixion. But that's not really the reason or the main reason why he was so emotional and screaming out and crying out to God with such intensity. He was emotional because when he's on the cross, all of the sins of mankind will be put on him and he will receive the wrath of God against the sins of mankind, the wrath of God and the judgment of God against your sins and mine. And he will be cut off from the father for our sins. And he's never been cut off from the father. He will be forsaken on the cross. That's why he cries out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of our sins were put upon Jesus. He died in our place as our substitute on the cross. Everything we've ever done wrong was put upon him. 
And God poured out his wrath and judgment on Jesus instead of pouring out his wrath and judgment on us. And Jesus is cut off. He's forsaken on the cross. And that's the reason Jesus was so distressed, because he will be cut off from the Father. He knows he will have to be cut off from the Father to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind. And he's never been separated from the Father before for all eternity past. And when he's on the cross, the Father will turn his back on him. Jesus always called God Father. There's only one time he doesn't call him Father. And that's when he's on the cross and he calls him my God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that point, God the Father is acting as God the judge and judging him. And he's separated by his sin, by our sin, from the Father. And it's only at that point on the cross when the judgment of God is poured out on him for our sins, for the first and only time, Jesus called the Father God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's cut off and he's without information. He says, why? We've never seen Jesus without information. We've never heard Jesus say, why? He's never had a question like that. Why have you forsaken me? And the thought of being separated from the Father and bearing the punishment for our sin has Jesus agonizing in prayer and screaming out and crying and busting the capillaries on his face because he's screaming out with such intensity. And look at verse 39 again. He falls on his face. He prayed saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, But as you will, oh, my father, if there is any other way than me being cut off from you for the sins of man, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's that's the model prayer for us. We state our desire to God, but then we say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Lord, this is what I would like, but your will be done, not mine. Lord, here's my request. But your will be done. I know that you know what's best for me. I know you will do what's right. This is what I hope you do. But your will be done. Verse 40. Then he came to his disciples. And he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter. Peter in particular. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? It was Peter who proudly declared. I will die before I deny you. But Peter can't even pray for an hour falls asleep. Isn't that how it is for us? Right? We identify with Peter's weakness here. Well, you know, in our hearts, we think, you know, if I'm ever put in that situation, I think I could lay down my life for Jesus Christ. But then when the Holy Spirit tells you to share the gospel with your waiter at a restaurant, you get all in nods. I don't know. What if I just want to, you know, what if they don't, you know, I'm just want to order my food. What if they spit my food if I start talking about Jesus? You know? <laughs> Verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How do you keep yourself from falling into temptation? By watching and praying, by spending time with Jesus and praying. Notice what Jesus says. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you noticed that in your life? That your flesh doesn't want to do what your spirit wants to do? You know, you can sit down in the evening 
to read your Bible and within minutes you're dozing off. Or your brain is distracted and you've got, oh, I've got to do that. I've got, I need to call that person. I need to blah, blah, blah. And you can't focus. Why is that? And at the same time, you can sit down in front of the TV and binge watch some show for hours. You never get tired. You never get distracted. You don't even get up to go to the bathroom or make food or anything. You just sit there. Why is that? Because your flesh never wants to do what is spiritual. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Galatians 5 says the flesh and the spirit are always contrary to each other. The flesh, your flesh, my flesh, will always resist spiritual things. Always. The flesh will always find it hard to do what is going to draw us closer to the Lord. And so verse 42, again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. If there is no other way to save mankind than through the cross, then I'll drink this cup. There is no other way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to receive eternal life except through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only way of salvation that God has provided. If there was another way for us to be saved, Jesus didn't need to die in our place. That cup could have passed from him, but he had to drink the cup of the cross for us because the cross is God's only provision for mankind. It's the only way of salvation. God has provided one way for man to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. And don't sit there and think, well, that's not very fair. Just one way. At least he's provided a way. We don't even deserve a way. But he's provided a way. If you were drowning in a pool and I threw you a life preserver, you wouldn't complain and say, was that the only life preserver you have? No. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank God that he provided a way for us to have our sins forgiven and for us to be reconciled to God and have the hope of eternal life. Verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus says he's there on the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane. He probably can see Judas and the band of soldiers that he has with him making their way from the temple down into the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives with torches in the night. And he sees them coming and he says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And next we'll look at the betrayal and arrest of Jesus in Gethsemane. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your obedience We thank you, Lord, that you stayed and you endured the cross for us. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave, that you didn't take the easy way out, but you stayed. We thank you, Lord, for providing a way of salvation for us when there was no way of salvation for us. We thank you for making a way for us. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to be separated from the Father and take our punishment for us so that we could be reconciled to the Father and be forgiven 
And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Pastor Dan has more to share with you next time, but if you have any questions or would like to talk to us and have any prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at 410-491-4592. The number again is 410-491-4592. You can also get in touch with us by visiting our website. Go to calvaryec.com and look under the About tab, then click on Contact. You're welcome to submit prayer requests on our website, too. If you're interested in finding additional messages from this series, you can access those at calvaryec.com as well, under the Media tab. Have you connected with a local church? If not, we encourage you to find a church family. It will help guide and support you in your faith. If you're in the area, please join us at Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in Columbia, Maryland. For more details, visit calvaryec.com. Our website is a great place to find out what we believe. And you can also get to know Pastor Dan a little more. Feel free to explore and learn more at calvaryec.com. In our next edition, you'll have the opportunity to gain some additional insights from this New Testament book. Pastor Dan will help bring some things to light for you right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crack. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.